What's up, everybody? So I want to let you know that the Alpha Brain Golden Ticket Sweepstakes are still going on. And that's just a rad opportunity not only to stock up on your Alpha Brain or give Alpha Brain a try. Because if you haven't tried Alpha Brain, it's definitely one of those tools that's different than any stimulant you've had and gets your brain firing in an absolutely different way. And that's what our clinical research has shown, and that's what everybody who's tried it. You know, we've sold over a million bottles of Alpha Brain, and the results are in. It works. It's awesome. So this is a great opportunity, though, because if you get the Golden Ticket Sweepstakes, everybody is a winner, and there's a bunch of cool shit that we're giving away, from kettlebell sets to different other products, to discounts. Every single person is going to be a winner if you go to the golden ticket sweepstakes so check it out on it.com slash golden ticket and then enter the code and fill in the entry form there's going to be a grand prize for one of you which is going to be a trip out here to austin and on hq so you'll be able to come hang at the hq and do all the awesome on it things so definitely check it out go to on it.com slash golden dash ticket and get your 30 count or 90 count bottle of alpha brain gadoosh <laughs> Here we are, live on Facebook for the Aubrey Marcus podcast with my girl, my ride or die, the one and only, at Miss Two Jits, Whitney Miller. Yay. What's up, baby? How are you? That was a good intro. <laughs> you were worried about it? I was worried. Oh, uh, well. Really brought the heat. I, I appreciate you. it. I, I got you it. back. So let's, uh, let's get into a few things. We've had some adventures lately, first of which was we just got back from Peru. Yaman. Yeah, that was wild. This was kind of like... I mean, I've kind of drug you along to a lot of my crazy psychedelic adventures. Some Kind of? <laughs> some with better results than others. But this was like the breakthrough moment for you here. Oh, yeah. Um, 1,000%. I mean, this trip to Peru was more profound and more potent than anything I've ever experienced. So what do you think? Why do you think that was? Like, what do you think the... I mean, obviously, the experience was amazing. We're out with Don Howard who I call Gandalf the White Wizard. He's the Love him. feature character in both the Ayahuasca and the Wachuma documentaries that, that we recently released. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great environment, obviously. That made a huge difference. But what was it about the place that you were at in your life that made this so special, you think? Um, well, for me, it was I was going solely for myself. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing it for you. I wasn't doing it for anybody else there. It was 100%... I really just didn't really care about anybody else is basically what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, I think being able to take that and going into ceremony with pretty specific questions, and I've never done that before. And this is the 10th time. This is the 10th time that I've done ayahuasca. And the others have been, you know, good, great, profound, but nothing like this. And so I went into ceremony, ceremony with specific questions that I wanted to find out, and I went solely for myself. So I think, you know, those two together – really just created the best of like major fireworks. Yeah, I think that's an important point. I think, you know, the reason why you were going to ayahuasca is pretty key. And I think, um, you know, looking back, obviously this is such a big part of my life and you're such a big part of my life. I was really eager to get you into the fold and like, man, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I think you wanted, because you knew it was so important to me and such a big part of my life, like you wanted to do it partly for me, but you didn't necessarily completely want to do it all on your own. Well, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really fully buy into it yet, you know? And even after doing it nine times before this, it was still, you know, coming back from it, I learned so many lessons and it was, it was the fact that I embodied everything that I learned. I became the lessons. I felt it. I smelt it. 
I knew exactly what it tasted and that, like. And you're referring to after this last time. Yes, after yeah. this Whereas last time. Previously, you didn't feel that way necessarily. No, I understood it with my mind. Right. I understood ayahuasca with my mind, and I saw some cool things, and you know, took some little nuggets here and there. But I, it was more of like a mental understanding as opposed to becoming it. Yeah. And like once you feel something, you can't ignore that feeling anymore. Yeah. I think it's a it's a key point for people out there who are curious about ayahuasca. Like the reason you come to it is really essential. Mm-hmm. Like you have to come to it based upon a personal calling, not because someone else wants you to do it. Your partner, your someone in your family or somebody else wants you to do it. And that's the reason you're doing it, or you want to, you know, do it to to have that notch in your belt or any of these other external motivations. If you're not coming to it solely for the purpose of your own self betterment, you know, it's generally not going to yield probably the ideal result. It can, no. it can yield some good stuff, but I think coming to, it from the call, coming to it with that calling, you know, and that, that mission to, to really lock in and be of better service to yourself. I think that's the key. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I mean by, I think you'll be bummed out is that yeah. you, that you hear so many amazing stories and transformational st- stories about ayahuasca and the effects it can have. But if you're not going solely for yourself, then you're not going to really experience those things as much as you potentially could. Yeah. So what did you experience this time? This time for me was all about reaching my highest potential. Mm -hmm. And um, the ayahuasca itself was... I really... I got sick, but I wasn't too sick. I've been way worse before. But it it was... It felt really nice. And it showed me some really scary things. But for me, it was reaching my highest potential and not being afraid of that. And just constant over and over and over, like drilling that into my mind. And, and I, how was it doing that? Visually, with everything. ideas, with... With ideas, visually, it showed me, you know, as my... It showed myself. And then I just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. This is one of the visions that I had. And it was, you can reach your highest potential and your highest potential is great. Like go for it because it's, it, it's really big, but just know that when you get to your highest point, cause it just showed me getting just giant. Mm-hmm. And when you reach that highest point and you have to stay locked in and you have to stay connected because my mission in life, and I've known this, and this is something that I think I've gained from past ayahuasca, ayahuasca experiences is my mission is to inspire people. Yeah. And so if I reach my highest potential and let's say that it's really great and I have this big reach, I still have to remain connected and I still have to, I have to keep those lessons. So I'm able to inspire people. Yeah. And that was a a pretty big lesson for me just to don't, don't get caught up. The bigger, the bigger the tree grows, the deeper the roots have to grow. Right. You know, or the tree is going to be subject to, to fall over. And I think you see that with a lot of people who get famous quickly you know, like reality show stars and Mm -hmm. they get so big and they, they're not working on sending their roots, you know, the roots of who they are at the deepest level and the, the things that actually nourish their soul, those roots that go deep into the soil and draw that in, they haven't spent that amount of time. So they can't withstand the size that they get in. So it's pharmaceuticals and depression and, you know, all of the shit that happens when someone gets so big so fast that they're not able to kind of withstand that. And, uh, but you know, I, I think it's also, it's not about ego wanting to get big. It's about playing big. Like all of us are here to play as big as we can, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not, and it's just, I think, I think in, in, and actually you talk to someone from Australia, for example, right. 
they actually this is like a major issue in their culture they call it tall poppy syndrome Mm -hmm. you know like where everybody's worried about being the poppy that's a little bit above the rest of the the field of flowers because someone's going to come and cut it off you know and that's kind of this idea so everybody plays small to a certain not obviously everybody but there's an idea about playing small and I think we all have that we're afraid to kind of be fully who we are be as big as we can be because we're worried that other people are going to cut us down because people will cut us down right absolutely so we have to be able to withstand that and we we you know people can only cut you down if you allow those people to cut you down you know they don't have actual scissors they just have their words and Mm -hmm. as long as their words don't trigger your own judge and your own mind and your own insecurities and your own doubts you know really they're harmless you can see where they're coming from and and just kind of view them with love Mm -hmm. yeah and I think I mean knowing that people are going to try to cut you down. I think regardless of how big or small you play, you're always going to be, oh, you you play too small. Oh, great, now I play too small. And then you get big and like, oh, you play too big now. You know, so it's kind of like you can't win. But as long as you, like you said, stay connected in that and grow your roots, they're not going to be able to blow you over. Yeah. You're strong in that. And that was another lesson that I learned in Peru. It was just, you know, it was a very, very challenging place for me to be in surrounded by people that I necessarily didn't want to be with and but also surrounded by people who love I love and it was like just a very challenging place so externally it was it was really hard but I think that that challenge in itself really allowed me to grow more Mm -hmm. well all forms of resistance taken with the right attitude are just an opportunity for growth Mm -hmm. you know I mean I think that's that's always the key lesson. Whatever it is, whatever you're experiencing now, whatever that opposition is, is, you know, the grindstone by which you can sharpen your sword. Right. You know, if you take it to be that. Otherwise, it's this, oh, f- fuck my life. This is, oh, I hate this. Everything's going to shit. And you can take that kind of woe is me attitude and then give up the opportunity to use these external forces of resistance. But it's hard sometimes. You know, sometimes it just feels like you're just getting your ass kicked and yeah. there's no lessons to be learned. But ultimately, in the surrender to that, you know, I had one of those weeks a few weeks ago and coming off of Peru and actually even in Peru and and just surrendering to realizing like I'm getting my ass kicked. But you know what? Like I'm still alive. Mm -hmm. Like death hasn't touched me yet. I still got another chance. There's a certain strength that comes from that, which is a lesson in and of itself. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's if we can look at it as challenge being something exciting for us because there is so much growth in it. I mean, that's like the optimal way of thinking like sweet. This really sucks right now, but like, what can I learn? What is it? What, what universe are you trying (laughs) to teach me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's always the, that's always the right question. And that ends up turning, you know, what is suffering just back to reducing it to pain. You know, because we can all handle pain. Mm-hmm. We're all very good at handling pain, but it's our reaction to pain that decides whether it's suffering or not. It's the concern about future, you know, future pain or how long is this going to last or why is this happening? All of this rumination that happens. You know, pain is an essential part. I just actually wrote a post about that on Facebook. Like, mm-hmm. what's the point of pain? It hurts. Like, it's part of our stake in the game. It's part of like attaching money to the poker chips so you play the game for real because there's pain and there's pleasure otherwise it would just be all willy-nilly like playing poker with no stakes 
Everybody stays in every hand. Nobody can bluff anybody out. I raise you this imaginary thing. You're like, fuck you. I'm in. <laughs> you know, like, I'll see if I catch something on the river. Mm-hmm. Like, that wouldn't make the game of life any fun. So, you know, there's all of these things, but we don't have to make it worse by making it suffering. We can just stay present with the pain, figure out what there is to learn from that. If it's pain in the body, what is that signaling us? What can we do better? How can we fix that? If it's emotional pain, what is that signaling? Is there an issue with our ego that needs to be controlled? Is there something, an insecurity that we have? Is there more self-love that we need to add? Is the judge activated in our own mind? You know? Yeah, there's always something underneath it. You yeah. know, you're, you're not just mad because you're mad. There's something underneath. There's something causing that. And I think that's interesting, too, when it comes to emotional pain. Where do you feel that in your body? Like, for me, a lot of my emotional pain, it comes from, like, my solar plexus mm-hmm. and, and my heart. Because my solar plexus is trust. You know, like, do I trust this person? Or what, what emotional trigger is going on here? Oh, maybe I don't feel worthy. Or maybe I don't do this, you know? And so I think really you know, when you're in that state, feel it in your body and then try to uncover it and see where that comes from. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good, a good way to look at it. And I think for us, it's not just been ceremony that has brought a lot of that up. And and I think we're going to talk about this later, but we're also in an open relationship, which is like a 24 seven ceremony and, and a a challenge, a challenge to your ego, to your security, to your trust, to it's really interesting, and I think we've both grown a lot from that um, as well. I mean, it's, I think these plant medicine ceremonies are just one way to get that. You know, it's one way to put yourself into a situation that's going to be incredibly challenging to allow you the opportunity to grow. Mm-hmm. It's not a panacea. It's not just going to fix everything without your effort. Like, it's going to present you with challenges, fears, things that are going to come up, and you're going to have to make choices. And depending on those choices, you know, it can be incredible growth or it can be, you could just kind of sidestep it and just give one of the, ole. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, just duck out of the way and say, all right, I'm going to tackle that one later. You know, and sometimes ayahuasca won't let you do that. If it knows, it feels like if it knows you're ready to meet the challenge, it'll just keep hammering you. Yeah, totally. But if you're not, you know, it'll maybe present something you can just go whoop and kind of step out of the way and you know maybe save that for another time when you're ready to meet that challenge Mm -hmm. it tends not to push so hard that it breaks people which is one thing that i think is like the wisdom of the medicine and and why i trust the plants more than i trust synthetics like i feel like a synthetic the time that i've experienced it it doesn't have that sensibility of how far it can push before it just crushes you you know and i think that's why you hear about these crazy acid trips that have fucked people up you know, for a significant amount of time. Whereas you don't necessarily hear about that that often with these plant medicine ceremonies. No, and it's also like, you know, we've talked about so many times before set and setting. Because mm-hmm. I've felt crushed by Yeah, ayahuasca. I mean, it's pretty crushing. But, but but you've always, has it ever felt like it was more than you could handle? Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Absolutely, 1,000%. <laughs> multiple times. But I'm, but I'm blaming that more, not on the plant. Yeah. I'm blaming that on the set and setting. I'm right. blaming that on the facilitation um, of the shamans. I'm yeah. not, I don't think, I can see that ayahuasca can bring you to the brink without actually crushing you if you are where you're supposed to be. Sure. Yeah, like, I think that's Gandalf. that's obviously an important an important distinction as well because it's not just the plant, it's the whole procedure that's going in there. The plant, the plant will generally you know, it, it's generally down with whatever the intent of the 
of the container is the combination of the person plus the the practitioners the doctors who are providing it mm-hmm. to you and and you know you had uh, what at least was to you some unfortunate experiences at the first center that you went to um and you know we've since corrected that going to blue morpho which was huge and very positive and then off to uh um spirit quest with don howard who which in your opinion was the epitome of top i mean nothing tops that yeah nothing even i i can't even say anything comes close to it to yeah. be totally honest well not only that then it has the wachuma element which mm. you were just flourishing in yes. the wachuma describe to people in your perspective what wachuma is all about a wachuma is about falling in love with everything <laughs> like fully in love with everything and and it's you literally live a lifetime in an entire day. It was funny. I would listen to a song at the beginning of the day because you drink um, the Wachuma at like one or two and then you're out of ceremony at like 11 p.m. And it just keeps on trucking. It's not like, oh, you get kind of high and then you're like, you know, just hanging out a little bit and you get higher and hanging out. No, it's just like you're climbing a mountain of Wachumanists the entire day. And I certain... So the song, I was listening to a song at the beginning of the day and I was like, had one thought with the song and then I heard the same song at the end of the day and I was like, oh, in my mind, it was like, oh, remember Whitney when you were so young and you used to <laughs> listen to that song and it was just like, I don't know, six hours ago, but it's, you become, I, at least for me, I felt like I gained so much wisdom from that. It just, my soul was, was like growing in one day and it was just the most amazing experience ever. Yeah. It's hard to put in words. It's it, hard to like it put really is. It, it, because yeah. It can I mean, is it visual or not? It can be. You know, you can see things, yeah. you can have closed-eyed visions and but that's not really the heart of the the heart of the medicine. The heart of the medicine is your own heart. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the connection that you make between yourself and the environment. And we got to go to some amazing places. Beautiful I mean, the, places. The enchanted stream where we're rubbing Amazon clay on our bodies and this fresh water <sighs> stream as local tribe kind of looks on and smiles at all these 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 gringos just tripping balls in their stream. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and it's a very symbiotic relationship. I think all of the people coming through and the money that that's been able to provide have provided everybody with mosquito nets and the screened-in Tombow and their, their quality of life have dramatically improved. So they're looking at us with, you know, joy and, and respect, and we're looking back at them with joy and admiration and respect, mm-hmm. and it's this kind of mutual thing like, here, come see our secret, our secret paradise, right. you know. And, and in, in return, we get to offer our own, our own strengths, our own medicine in a certain way. Yeah, and, and Wachuma is really so heart-opening. So heart-opening. Opening. And I think that's why Don Howard does it with the ayahuasca, is he does usually ayahuasca first, and then he mm-hmm. goes into the Wachuma because it's such a heart-opening medicine. Um, and so you just feel so much. Like my brother was there, and like being able to have – that experience with him, I feel like is, is something that we will n- never be able to duplicate. You know, yeah. it just, it bonds everybody. Um, so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to go back. <laughs> Special. And then we did it another day, went out to the secluded beach. Now see, that's where I had straight up visions without my eyes closed. Uh-huh. What were I, you seeing? I, I mean, I was looking up at the clouds and just the clouds were morphing into all kinds of different animals and shapes. I think that was actually faces. happening, though. <laughs> that's, a, that's the thing. Like the clouds were weird that day. The clouds were weird, but this is they weren't this weird. <laughs> 
and it was right <laughs> in my face. I swear I could just like lick him. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was pretty special. That was a, a great moment for us, too, because mm-hmm. we had been kind of pulling apart a lot of different forces and different things that we don't need to get into, but had really driven us at the point where we were the most apart that we'd ever been mm-hmm. on that trip. And there at that beach on Wachuma, both of us standing, it wasn't even anything that we said, but we could just see the truth in each other without all of the bullshit and all the layers of delusion and deception and all of the things that have that had been built up the resentments the anger and just stand there holding a stick and (laughs) in the in the river in the water of the amazon and uh, i think we saw the truth in each other then and i think the everything since has followed from that absolutely that's the thing with wachuma is that it takes away all of the cloudiness and so it's just you and your light and who you really are. And mm-hmm. it just strips all of that away. And so if you're, you know, with somebody that that you can see that in, it, it brings that out. Yeah. And so I think that's why it was so potent for us personally in our relationship and moving forward. It's just because we saw each other. We're like, oh, man, we man, I love you. <laughs> right. I really love you, though. <laughs> right. And I'm seeing you for every awesome thing that you are and i realize that you're flawed and i'm totally cool with that yeah but like i love you yeah that's what Wachima did for me mm-hmm. yeah it's it's interesting it can be really challenging you know and if you talk to don howard more people have lost their bearings on Wachuma than on ayahuasca you know because it will bring to the surface anything that's kind of out of whack and and bring that and allow you an opportunity to work on that any insecurities or any weird thing that's coming up will kind of bubble to the surface and give you an opportunity to address it and release it but in that process you get to be the most you that you've ever been right speaking of it being difficult the first time i did wachuma or i guess first three times that it would wachuma with don howard it was very easy for me and this time obviously was an extremely beautiful experience but leaving that second day after we saw each other in the water and we had that amazing experience of just you know basically falling back in love with Mm -hmm. each other and then on the boat ride back is when my Wachuma experience was like all right ready for this now you had a beautiful day out there like let's (laughs) let's ride and it was just it was I don't know if it was an insecurity or what it was but it kept bringing up all of this shit about like power Uh and like competition and yeah I'm a super competitive person but I, I think you know, we all kind of have that in us a little bit and I'm, uh, I don't really want that in mm-hmm. the, in me. And so it brought it out. It was like, look, see, see how you feel about this and see how you feel about this. And, and you really do just want to have all the power and you really do want to do this. And I'm like, no, I don't, but I don't, you know? <laughs> and so for an hour, probably it was just like raking me through all of that. Yeah. And so that was challenging. I didn't feel sick or anything like that at all, but just I could I could feel the emotion of like wanting that power. That's an interesting <clears throat> yeah, I mean Wachuma and then Don Howard talks about that as well. There's really two paths. There's the path of love and there's the path of power. Mm-hmm. And Wachuma will will give you either path. She gave me both. It'll give you he either, gave me both. yeah, it'll give you either path and you have to really decide. But there's one path that's going to be fulfilling and one path that's going to be draining. Yeah. You know, the path of power, you're never satisfied. It's eating eating everything you want but always being hungry 
you know, like never, never being satiated. And that's the lesson of power. And I've had that come with multiple plants, but surely Wachuma is one of the ones. I mean, one of the early encounters with that was the encounter with ayahuasca when uh, this giant dragon of smoke came to me and came to me in my visions and said, and I was riding on its back and it says, you want power? And I thought about it and I was like, yeah. And it goes, why? And I go, well, I want to help people. And I'll use that power and that platform to help people. And it goes, are you sure? <laughs> and then it showed no. me all, it showed me all of the ways that I had accumulated power for my own benefit and, and reaped benefits from that power and just ruthlessly like took me through all of those. And it was really interesting experience just showing how that power, you know, wanting power is okay, but there's a balance point, you know, where you really got to decide whether that power is something that's supporting your mission and what you're really trying to accomplish in life or whether it's just self-serving and ultimately self-sabotaging by creating this need that you'll never be able to fill. Mm -hmm. And so really getting in, in balance with power is one of the key elements that I think all of us have to go through and something that the plants can be extremely helpful with. But it's interesting for you because that competitiveness and power, you know, being dominant over another person is obviously antagonistic to the path of love which i think is a path that both of us have committed to right but it's also you know you recently took a fight yeah you know so it's like how do you you know in your mind and you're talking about even doing a kickboxing match now you had a great boxing match anybody who hasn't seen the video please go watch the video on the misty jits youtube page it's amazing <laughs> um but how do you reconcile your lessons from wachuma and your desire to take a kickboxing match because I, I i'm not taking i'm just taking a kickboxing match because it's a challenge it's just like hey you want to try something you've never done before yeah sure let's do it let's go i'm not doing it because i get some sort of like i don't really get a whole lot of recognition from it i don't think i'm going to get a whole lot of recognition from it i'm not going to gain a whole lot of power at this point mm -hmm. you know but it is something that i like to challenge myself with um, so it's pretty, it's really honestly very simple for me to keep yeah, two it's not separate. A, it's not an issue. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things, you know, I've had a lot of fighters come to me and, and just with questions about their path, they're like, man, I just beat people up for my living. Like, am, is this cool? Like, do, am I okay? Like, is this, is this a path that's reasonable? And I always explain to him that, you know, in the most sacred sense, the job of a fighter is to provide resistance for another person that allows that person to face their own demons and potentially overcome. Like you're both in a mutual agreement to provide resistance towards each other, obviously in the physical form, but it's so much more involved in that emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. I mean, that was, you had your physical contest in the ring with River Fuller, but the iceberg, that was just the tiny, that, yeah, that was the like snow on top of the iceberg. Congratulations. The ice, but yeah, the iceberg was the emotional and spiritual side of it that, that kind of, that you gained from that. So if you were to sum that up, you know, what was that experience? How beneficial was that experience to you? It was beyond beneficial. I mean, it showed me that I could stick to something very, very challenging and that, you know, basically everybody around me except for you. And maybe a couple other people are like, yeah, don't ever do that. <laughs> For sure, stop training. Um, it, 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 man, it was just, it was the craziest experience of my life. It, it, I was in California training at Box and Burn with Tony Jeffries, and I didn't have my friends and family around me. I didn't have you. I didn't have the comforts of home. And so I would go to the gym and I would get my ass whooped 
<laughs> and then cry on the way home or to my little shack in Venice. And it was really difficult for me. It was really difficult, but I would do it again. Yeah. Well, one of the things I saw happening is you've always put an incredible amount of pressure on yourself. And whether that was <clears throat> no matter what you were performing in, even if it was a jujitsu tournament, you know, you'd be, you'd perform at 60% of your capabilities in a jujitsu tournament because you put so much pressure on yourself. I like to be really good at things. Yeah. And, That's and the problem. You, well, and you expect yourself to be really good yeah. at things and you judge yourself negatively, harshly right. if you don't. So you're, you're afraid of not being really good. And when you have that fear, you can't perform. Fear is crippling to, to performance. You're not loose. You're not quick. You're not fast. You're not flexible. You're not able to improvise on the fly and do what you're normally able to do. Do what I can see you do on the mats. You weren't able to translate that. But for this fight, you were able to go out there and perform at 110% of your potential. Yeah, because it was right. Like you said, I took the pressure off myself. Obviously, I wanted to perform well. Obviously, I wanted to win whatever but then I got to a point to where you know if River knocked me out I was just planning on raising my arms and being like man I got in here I'm in here I got knocked out but at least I have a cool story now yeah. you know and so being able to be okay with any sort of outcome was huge that's what allowed me to be so quick and allowed me to hear exactly what I needed to hear from Tony and Glenn and yeah I mean and so now moving forward, I don't think I, I, I think even in everyday life, I don't put as much pressure on myself to be a certain way or judge myself negatively if I don't yeah. perform that way. I think that was the, you know, that was one of the primary things that <clears throat> we were talking about on the mental side of that fight was just to be okay with any outcome. And I think a lot of times this, this positive thinking idea has gotten in people's head where the law of attraction thing and the law of attraction has created as much fear as any other thing out there. And that's one of the problems that I have with it because it, if, if taken the wrong way, it'll say any negative thought you have, you're going to attract that immediately. So like fighters, athletes, other people, they won't allow themselves even to think about the negative outcome. Well, that's not possible. Like you can't know there's a monster in the closet and not open the closet and not be afraid of it. You mm -hmm. know, like you have to go back to what the Stoics would do or what the samurai would do and go through those fears all the way to the end, envision them and become okay with the outcome. Do something that, that, you know, when I had dinner with John Jones prior to his fight with DC, you know, when he was at the dinner table and saying, I've gone through every possible thing that, that DC can do to me and I'm okay with all outcomes. You know, at that point, I knew he was going to whoop DC's ass, yeah. you know, because there was no fears that he had left unexplored. He'd gone through, he'd watched all those movies and he was okay with it. And he knew that he could, he could overcome. And I think that was for you, the worst fear of any boxer is to get knocked out in front of friends and family in your debut. This girl's talking mad shit. I she mean, has what, like 10 people there and what, I had like 200. <clears throat> like what? Like I'm going to get knocked out in front of everybody. Yeah. What greater fear could be with that? But if you, but by taking yourself to the point where you watched that movie where you got knocked out, you went on the ground and you popped up with your arms up and went, yeah, I did yeah. it. Then all of a sudden that fear dissipates. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're able to move again. You got fluid in your joints and you're able to perform at, at what you're capable of. And I think that's important for everybody in life. Like, yes, you know, attract the positive things you want, believe in yourself, envision, envision the most positive outcomes. And when we did the envisioning part of it, 
you know, like when we were sitting in the tub as you're cutting weight, envisioning what's going to happen, you're envisioning the positive. But it's not that if you, you know, not that you shouldn't be okay with the negative outcomes too and, and come to peace in some kind of reconciliation. Like, okay, I'm going to be okay no matter what, no matter what happens. Because then that removes the fear and makes the envisioning and the positive side even more Well, I think especially powerful. when it comes to like f- physical feats, it's, I knew that if I won or lost or got knocked out, like everyone was still going to love me, you know? Because I've seen, we're great friends with fighters and our, with UFC fighters. And sometimes they get their ass beat, but it doesn't change how I feel about that person in any way. I still love them. I still think they're awesome and I'm still going to support them. And so I know how I feel towards them. And I think that helped me with the boxing match in particular and moving forward with any sort of like physical competition is knowing that, man, I'm still going to love me, you know, maybe. And it's really anything. It's not even physical. Like even thinking about if, you know, if something were to happen to on it or anything that you're attached to or anything that you bring as part of your identity, mm-hmm. you know, being okay with losing it and realize, you know what, everything's going to be okay. The sun's right. still going to shine. It's still going to feel the same when it tickles my skin. A strawberry is going to have the same reaction to my taste buds when I dip it in whipped cream. Like mm. things are still going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, some, some stuff may suck more than others, but no matter what, it's going to be okay. And then that just lifts this cloud of fear off of your, off your, shoulders right and you know we mentioned it a little bit but in peru we were having a difficult time we were you know there was a lot of distance in between us and i started i would find myself you know either i was sad or i was upset or whatever it was having all of these negative thoughts and just kind of sulking and going down that negative rabbit hole of death and (laughs) I, I just think by taking hashtag little, negative rabbit hole of death. <laughs> yeah, negative rabbit hole of death. If you whatever find yourself, is, remember that. Remember, for sure get out remember of that, it. people. If you find yourself in the hashtag negative rabbit hole of death, <laughs> what do you do, Witters? Step one. <laughs> um, I always did like I would go and I would read really conscious quotes from from like Abraham Hicks, from um, Don Miguel from like any of these spiritual teachers and just Eckhart Tolle Tolle, yeah exactly and I would just read these quotes and kind of like pull myself out of the negative rabbit hole of death by little steps like I know I know by doing this is going to make me feel a little bit better so I'm going to do that like I think when we're so upset we just think of the end goal like oh man I just have to be healthy and I have to be happy and I have to love everybody and they all have to love me and it's like okay but how are you going to get there think of step one little uh what are they called frog the frog lily pads lily pads like use your lily pads to get across the river don't just try to leap all the way across and it can be as simple as changing the music you're listening to right like like so much of it is choice so much of it is that superpower of choice like i'm going to i don't want to indulge this feeling because i don't deserve it i deserve love i deserve happiness i'm gonna start making better i'm gonna start making choices like I respect this this thing feeling that I'm feeling, but I'm going to make choices to eliminate it because it's not grounded in truth. It's my own ego. It's my own fears. It's my own insecurity. So let's make choices to move past this. And mm-hmm. it can be, like you said, opening up that book and reading those quotes, which can be hard sometimes. You're like, I don't want to do it. I just want to sit here and have this pity party and yeah, my own negative sure. rabbit hole of death. Nobody come. I'm going to put a sign on the door that says, do not disturb. Do not enter. Yeah. No trespassing on my negative <laughs> but rabbit so, hole. So finding those quotes or changing the song that you're listening to or you know, reaching out to the person that you know is going to cheer you up or whatever, whatever thing that you can do. I think that's absolutely right. It's the, mm-hmm. what I call the lily pad strategy for change. Yeah. 
That's what really helped helped me through everything. And that's something that I will continue to, to use. Yeah, no doubt. Well, let's talk about this open relationship experiment that we've Ooh. been trying. It's right. been wild. It's been really challenging, but really rewarding from my perspective. How's it been from your perspective? Yeah, super, super challenging. That's all. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> it's been really challenging, but yeah, same. There's immense rewards that I would have never been able to gain any other way. I think one of the things that's cool is, you know, and we've, we're obviously pretty open about it. And it's just when you confront people with their old expectations, you know, and then you confront them with a new paradigm, you know, whether it's somebody who sees me hanging with one of your lovers and we're good friends and I'm not concerned, or maybe it's even the new lover himself. Who's like, man, are you, are you sure you're okay with this? Like, we're not going to fight. Like, this isn't going to be a problem. Like, no, man, it's cool. Me? Like anybody who's giving love and pleasure to someone I love is immediately my ally, not my enemy. Like mm -hmm. the whole world's got it backwards. In any other situation, if someone is doing something positive for somebody you love, that's a positive. Like they're your friend. <laughs> that's like, a good like imagine thing. if imagine take it out of the sexual context. Like if someone's like really helping your best friend or your sister or your mother, like really like making them happy you know, providing some service or skill or, or whatever. And like, you're like, Oh man, man, I really appreciate everything that you're doing for that person that I love. However, you put it in this sexual context and it's like, Oh no, fuck that. But not I'm even in a sexual ass. content, a text, like think about how relationships are today. You get a text message from somebody that you may have never even had sex with and it's world world three. Yeah. You know, like, why are you getting so upset? It makes no sense. Like, calm down. It's a text message. Like, we've never even had sex. And so maybe there, maybe you bring sex into it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. I mean, it, there's the jealousy extends beyond even the real into the, into the imagined, into the fantastical ideas of, you know, insecurity. You become so sensitive. You know these ideas of were you looking at her? Of course, I'm a fucking human. What do you What do you want? You know yeah. these ideas That's of the thing. of like who people... like a recognition of our basic human nature. Yeah. You know, which is uh, like I saw in the ayahuasca vision, like the only good part of the ayahuasca vision <laughs> that I had was that first idea where I saw that shrine with that with that monkey in the, this kind of human monkey in the forest and there's butterflies flying and the vines are swinging and the sweet smell of flowers like literally wafted over and I could smell it and it was beautiful and then engraved underneath this beautiful happy human monkey was the sign we are the pleasure monkeys you know like this recognition that we're pleasure monkeys we have the ability to give each other great pleasure but so many things from religion to relationship to everything is designed to restrict that pleasure why why like who I, that's the part that that's gotten all twisted up and is the root of so much suffering mm -hmm. you know and that's i think what we've been trying to undo but untying that knot is really challenging because it's tied into your own sense of self-worth your own ego you know this idea as a man that if anybody you know if your woman wants to have sex with anybody else it means that you're not doing a good enough job or your dick's too small or you know you're a bad lover or you're not tough enough or right. whatever else you know this idea that we should all be lions or bulls and fight to the death to protect our mate you know like nah yeah nah. but i also think it's like oh yeah 
we still like love and protect each other. You know, it's not like I think people get just get it twisted when it comes. If you don't have jealousy in a relationship, then they don't care. It's like, what? No, you Mm. almost care about that person more because you want them to be happy and do things that are going to make them happy. Now, if some girl's going to be a bitch and try to, you know, mess some things up and do her own thing. Yeah, I'm going to get protective. Like, that's my man. Right. Well, that's the difference between providing pleasure or actually hurting somebody. Yeah, you yeah. know, I mean, that's that's a clear distinction, like someone who's coming to not bring you pleasure or not bring you love, but to bring you pain. You know, I'm going to burn them down like right. there's no there's no question about that. And that's and that's where the distinction is. But someone coming, you know, someone coming with a gift, like an actual gift, mm-hmm. a genuine gift and me just running by and punching him in the face. That's insane. <laughs> you know, but if he's coming, you know, and he's got his arm raised like he's going to hit you. Yeah. Fucking burn him down. But the, most of the time, people are coming and they're just trying to experience pleasure with each right. other. And that's what's causing so much pain. Like, pleasure should not cause pain. That's, a, that's this paradox that people have agreed to that isn't real. Love should not cause hurt. You know, love is love. Pleasure is pleasure. And, 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 that, and that basic concept, I think, has been, you know, our guiding principle. It's not that we don't get it fucked up and we don't get hurt and we don't sure. allow our ego to trigger different insecurities and things. But... Just understanding that fundamental conscious principle, I think, has has been the guiding principle, and I think been really helpful for us to us to explore. Yeah, and it's also giving, you know, when your partner goes and say they see another lover or they spend time with somebody else, it it really makes you appreciate your like it really makes me appreciate you, mm-hmm. and it, you really appreciate me because we have such a bond that just because I'm seeing somebody else that doesn't take away from you or our experience or our relationship or our bond. And I think that's where people kind of get, have a lot of questions because they see it as, well, aren't you afraid that so-and-so is going to take, you know, that person away or, you know, I'm just going to run off with the next Joe blow or whatever, just because I have the opportunity to go to dinner with him or something. And it's like, no, that's not how it is. Like I, Aubrey is my man. Like we have this bond and this connection to where, we almost have to have more commitment to each other in this relationship because we are so honest and open and truthful that that's the only way it's going to work than any other relationship. Yeah. Fidelity over monogamy, you know, the idea that we can reach a place of a hundred percent trust. Like there's absolutely nothing in our relationship that we have to keep secret from each other at this point. So that's, you know, everybody talks about being with your best friend. Well, Yeah, except everybody in the traditional monogamous relationship, when they get around their actual best friends, their conversation totally changes. You know, yeah, they talk about different things. Girls get yeah, yeah, girls get around the girls. They're talking about boys. They're being flirty. Guys get around guys. They're doing the same things. You know, not to mention just the actual sexual infidelity, which is rampant. You know, everywhere, and and it's like, yeah, all right, okay, be with your best friend. You know, that's what you say in the wedding vows. But how about you do it? How about you get to a place where you can be 100% honest? Doesn't mean you need to act on it. But just recognizing that we're all humans. We're all going to have urges. We all like variety. We're not going to want to eat, you know, at the same restaurant every night for the rest of our lives. We're going to want to try different foods, to try different things, experience different things. And just be okay with that. It doesn't mean that you're deficient. You know, if, if I don't eat at my friend CK's restaurant every night, he doesn't call me up like, Hey, bro, what's wrong with our restaurant? You know, what the fuck? Why man? are you eating you know, over there? I mean, I got this restaurant. I thought we were homies. I thought I thought you were my favorite restaurateur. 
<laughs> you know, like why you got to eat somewhere else. Like, you don't do that, you know, yeah. but you do that with people, which is a weird, a weird thing, you know, or like if you went into a, a room, if you brought your puppy and there was a room full of other puppies, you know, your puppy looking at you like, oh my God, are you, are you really going to go pet another puppy right now? <laughs> Our know? dog probably would. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> no, you're not. You're going to sit here and you're going to pet <laughs> but me. That'd be silly, it. But it'd be silly. You'd be like, oh, there's just all these puppies. I love puppies. Right. <laughs> They're great. But you know, it's, it's weird. The, the things that we've all told ourselves and allowed ourselves to believe that just aren't necessary, that just ultimately cause suffering. I mean, one of the stories that I always fall back on was, um, and I don't think she would mind me mentioning, but you know, from Christine, and Christine was, you know, she was in she was in a marriage, and you know, she got interested in exploring another relationship, and because of the rules of that relationship that she was in, within her marriage, that required her to get a divorce in order to explore that other relationship. Well, she explored that other relationship. It was fun for a minute, and then fizzled out, and she was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> like I really loved my husband, but now we're divorced and now things have changed. Like in an open context, perhaps that could have been different. You could have just been allowed to like, oh yeah, this was fun. I explored this thing. It was cool. I got to experience it, but you're the best. You know, you're my man. You're, this is the partnership that I want. And I think allowing that flexibility, it's like the difference, you know, between a palm tree and another type of tree and a hurricane. Like relationship is always going to bring winds, desires and fears and things. But when you allow a little flexibility, a little bend, you know, it actually makes you stronger, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately in, in the end. But it can be maddening, you know, like I, this is not like a, a pitch for everybody to go out and try it. Hell no. I don't know? recommend, I don't mean I don't recommend it for everybody. I think certain couples can definitely do it. Now it's going to, let's say you do try it, but if you have cracks in the relationship, it's going to magnify them. Mm-hmm. So if there's anything it's going to be that little baby Especially thing is going to become a mountain. Like any insecurity that you have right. in the relationship is going to get magnified, mm-hmm. which is either a blessing or a curse, depending on how you approach it. It's, it's, it's either a challenge that's going to allow you an opportunity to fix, or it's something that's too much that's going to cause you to break. Right. <clears throat> and that's what you got to decide. You got to decide whether you have that warrior mentality of like, I want to see if there are any issues so that I can go address them and attack them and we can become stronger. Mm-hmm. But damn, it keeps things fresh, you know, yeah, like, totally. like the, uh, this idea, you know, that's one of the things that so many other couples struggle with is the passion. They're like, you know, where'd the passion go? And in this container, you know, that's not been an issue at all. Cause we tried it the other way and passion really started to fizzle out. I mean, mm-hmm. we were kind of not paying attention to each other at the end of two and a half years of monogamy. We we're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's Whitney. It's Aubrey. Blah. Yeah. But now, you know, with being free animals, you know, two free horses roaming, roaming wild and coming back and choosing to be with each other. Roaming wild? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. But that's it. Like, when you imagine, like, your fantasy horse, right, nobody right, imagines right. the one tied up to a, tied up and shivering in a fucking, with a bit in its mouth. And a, yeah, yeah. they imagine the wild horse with the hair blowing in the breeze. And, and now that we're both kind of more of that archetype, like, we're free. And every night we are together is, is a choice because we could choose to be with somebody else that night. And that's okay you know, it brings a different element and it brings that element of passion stuff back. So there's definitely benefits there. There's also, you know, those crushing low moments mm-hmm. and, uh, and that's just part and part and par for the course. But to me, I mean, I'm someone who likes, and you're someone who likes to go towards, towards our greatest challenges. And yeah. I think having that attitude, this has been an ideal, 
experiment. Yeah, I mean, you just have to know that it's it's going to be difficult, and if you let the challenges break you, it will break you. Yeah. Just like with everything, though. No doubt. And also, too, like, when you say open relationship, a lot of people have these images of just crazy swingers and a free-for-all. Like, you have to fuck everybody at that point. You know, like, we've been open for two two and a half years now you know we've only each had a, a handful of lovers and we're not all doing these swap parties and crazy shit like that oh, yeah. you know it's like it doesn't well, have to be all this it doesn't have to go from zero to a hundred yeah no, you know no, what no, i mean take, take your i mean pacing like definitely pace i mean that's something that we've talked yeah. about in our relationship or the fact that you're allowed to have sex with other people doesn't mean that you're going to fucking sex orgy parties right. and like just it's a total free-for-all like it's either monogamy or just free-for-all like yeah. like like you're well, either gonna have zero drinks or a handle of fucking jim beam yeah. you know like like there's 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 the glass of wine approach there's the occasional like you know couple craft beers approach well yeah and you can i mean everybody comes up with oh and they're in an open relationship or they're in a polyamorous relationship or they're in an xyz relationship and it's like i don't we're just in a relationship and we're deciding exactly what that looks like and i think everybody gets the chance and the opportunity to do that what is your ideal relationship look like but might not be what we're doing because our ideal isn't what somebody else is doing and vice versa. Like come up with your own plan, sit down with your partner and figure out what's ideal for him and what's ideal for you and see how you can build from that. I like it. Beautiful. Lando, do we have any questions that have uh, come in from the, the Facebook live family here? Oh, hello. Yay. Hello. This is Orlando. Um, yeah, we got some questions. Soothing dulcet um, on tones. Both, category, both uh, subjects you guys are were, uh, talking about. Cool. Um, but we'll start with the uh, ayahuasca and Wachuma stuff. Um, what's his? I was going to try to give him a shout out for his name, but I don't see it here. Um, somebody wanted to know what exactly the difference between ayahuasca and Wachuma was. And actually, that's by Sean Cunningham. Okay. So ayahuasca co- is a combination of a vine and uh, a, s- a series of different leaves that makes DMT, the psychoactive compound, orally active within the body. Um, it's a class, classic kind of healing concoction that the, the shamans of the Amazon have been using for thousands of years. And, um, but it's a really a DMT experience extended over about a five or six hour time span and um, very visual, very physically purgative. You know, you find yourself vomiting or shitting or cleaning on the physical <laughs> as well as on the emotional, psychological, spiritual. And you're stationary. And you're stationary. And it's usually in the evening. Um, very different flavor, you know, and then the shamans are there and they're usually singing the Icaros, which are songs taught to them by the plants. It's a really amazing experience for anybody who wants a, a good vision into what that experience is, is, uh, just launched a documentary at drinkthejungle.com and you can actually see the Wachuma documentary there as well. Um, and that's typically associated with like a grandmother energy, a female energy, and she's very stern, <laughs> you know, she's, she's tough. She's, it's tough love. Um, Wachuma is kind of the counterpart definitely identified as grandfather energy comes from the san pedro cactus the um psychoactive compound is mescaline and it's a very serotonergic um compound and that means that it feels very heart opening it feels like you're accessing a lot more love the energy is a lot more expressive so you tend to take it in the day do a little ceremony and then you go on an adventure and experience and encounter yourself in the environment so it's a lot more kind of interactive with your environment and a lot 
other external things can come up. Um, and then you bring it back into a ceremony at night. Um, but the, the color and quality of these are really about as opposite as any two psychedelics that I know of. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, iboga is kind of in its own category of hell, mm-hmm. you know, which is different than anything. But iboga is just all of hell. It's, yeah, it's like it's like all of them. And that's <laughs> actually true. Iboga has like five or six different psychoactive compounds in it which is why it's this just chaos this ultimate smashing of, yeah. of uh, smashing the smithereens of yourself but uh yeah so and and wachuma is the traditional name for san pedro which is what it's most commonly referred to uh, but I, I definitely recommend you guys go to drinkthejungle.com if you're curious and check out those short films you can watch them both for free cool so somebody wants to know you know how do you keep the ceremony, the whole thing, sacred, and not let it become part of culture, like make it become a fad or, you know, something that's popular? Hmm. Well, I think it just depends on, I think you got to realize that there's going to be both, you know, like this, this medicine is an incredibly powerful healing tool. And that's going to be used for a variety of different purposes. And some of those purposes aren't going to be sacred. Um, and you, I think you have to be okay with some acceptable, acceptable loss and acceptable use in that. Everybody has the ability to choose which way they want to go. You know, the plants aren't going to direct that, and nor should a government or any agency direct that, no, you can't do it in this way. You know, people need to choose which way they want to interact with these plants. And I think you got to allow that choice to exist. That choice is part of the medicine. And yeah, there's going to be some people who are going to take Wachuma and turn it into a, a dance party orgy, perhaps, or something like that. And to people who take, I can't hardly imagine taking ayahuasca for anything that was that pleasurable. Yeah. But I imagine, but I have seen people at like festivals with like a DMT vape pen. And they're out there just ripping DMT vape pens, listening to bass nectar, <laughs> you know, and just fucking jamming out. I wouldn't want to do that, but you have to be okay with that kind of that kind of use by knowing that it's going to be outweighed by the ability for more people to access it in a sacred container. Right. Cool. And now it's for some of the juicy questions. Oh, <laughs> juicy! So, Bring it. Uh, <laughs> Sean Wright. Sean Wright wants to know how do you guys start their conversation about being in an open relationship. Oh man, we've been talking about, we were in a monogamous relationship for two and a half years and, you know, we have a friend, Dr. Chris Ryan, who wrote Sex at Dawn and we read his book and kind of, we knew a couple people were, that were in a open relationships, but we never tried it ourselves. And so it was just kind of a conversation, topic of conversation, like hypothetically, if we were to do this, maybe I'd do with this person or like, you know, hypothetically this, hypothetically that it was on like an intellectual level and we just weren't actually doing it. So I think it's just, that was the start. I think reading, that was the start. I think reading that book, Sex at Dawn actually was crucial for me because I had a lot of ideas that were misguided about what male sexuality should be. I was in that kind of camp of, yeah, we're all like bull elks, you know, like we can have multiple lovers, but our woman can't, you know, and we're, we're just programmed, hardwired to fight to the death to prevent anybody from having sex from our mate. And in really that animal model is not accurate to humans. We're more. Yeah. Newsflash clo- men. Your chick <laughs> wants to bang other dudes. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> so I think reading sex at dawn put that in a different framework where I was like, 
oh, okay, I get it. You know, like the sexuality, the rules of sexuality are different than that. And, and what's, what's the most natural thing for male humans and female humans is different than I thought. And I think that was a crucial step for me um, to be able to open up what I think is also an essential thing, like to have true fairness, equanimity between the two partners. Like one partner can't be able to do something that the other partner can't do, or it's just going to breed resentment. And resentment is the monster that eats love. Right. And that's something that I, you know, I kind of tried that when we first started this whole open thing. It was, oh, uh, you know, there's really nobody that I'm interested in. So maybe I can just support him on his, you know, path to wanting to be in this open relationship and I'll just support him and I don't really want to be with anybody. So I'll remain monogamous. But then, yeah, resentment started to build up because I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I'm here at home and he's just out doing whatever he wants to do. Like, that's not cool, you know. Um, so yeah, I think keeping it as equal as possible is, is great, but also not keeping score. Like he has X amount of lovers and I have X amount of lovers and and so forth. But yeah, I mean, bringing it back, I would say reading sex at dawn is what sparked everything for us. Yeah. That, and then just trying to just really understand what clean love is and the most conscious way to look at things, you know, and, and really it's really a game of consciousness. Like, how do you defeat the ego? You don't ever defeat the ego. You just raise your consciousness so that the, the concerns of the ego become smaller, become inconsequential. Yeah, and know? there's that, that quote that relationships aren't supposed to make you happy. They're supposed to make you conscious. And I wouldn't have real, like understood what that meant probably months ago. But, you know, through Peru and everything, I think it's as you raise your own consciousness, the happy, happier that you are and the happy you, happier you are for your partner. Yeah, agreed. It's a game of consciousness. What else, Lando? Um, how do you deal with the people that are outside of your open relationship that you, that you get to the other relationship with? You know, how do you deal with their feelings so the other the other lovers Correct. yeah this is this is something that we've definitely been trying to figure out and i think for me there's been a lot of ideas but what ultimately we've come to so we'll save you a lot of the a lot of the the trials and tribulations <laughs> yeah what what ultimately we've come to is it's i think there has to be very clear very clear understandings and boundaries because what you don't want to get into is a situation where you know things are murky and you don't understand and it feels like constantly like someone you're choosing someone over another person. So I think the best scenario that we're in is a clear distinction between a primary partner and your other lovers and having that very well established. And I think that is a good way to understand like you always know the position they're in. The other lovers know that they'll never be primary partners. So they understand what the exchange is. The exchange is just purely fun. It's just... How much enjoyment can we get out of these moments that we spend to each other? And it removes the possibility of any other expectation like, man, I wonder if I could get more time. I wonder if I could get this or if I could, you know, it removes all of those expectations. And I think expectations really are the killer. Mm -hmm. You know, as soon as the expectations are clear, I think everybody can can relax a little bit. Yeah, it takes the pressure off. I mean, we went from having a whole bunch of rules to having absolutely no rules. And it was like a free for all basically. Yeah. And then, so neither of those really worked. And so right. we kind of came in, you know, in the middle and realized, Oh, okay. Yeah. Boundaries and kind of having some sort of agreements and, and locking those in is yeah. it, for us the easiest way. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, and on a whole bunch of rules, I think people get tripped up in this whole bunch of rules, like, well, you can only see this person on Wednesday, and then you can blah, 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 and, and then these rules end up becoming the stumbling blocks that are really causing a lot of pain, because it's it's not coming from a place of love, it's coming again from a place of fear and guardedness. And control. And control, right? And so... You see that in a lot of these relationships. You carve out these really small niches and then anytime anybody pushes one of those boundaries, it's so painful, you know, whereas if you just really come from a place of love and understand and have faith in your love and what that structure of that love is and the purpose of your relationship is as an overarching theme rather than nitpicking the details, but still having that set. So it's like having a really strong structure because we tried to dispose of that and that was chaos and that didn't work, but having a really strong structure but not trying to micromanage each other's pleasure. <laughs> you know? And I think like dealing with, you know, each of our lovers emotions and feelings, I think is what the question kind of was. Um, for me, I, when I first started, I completely pushed all of that away. I was like, Oh, well that's their own emotion. So, you know, I'm going to let them deal with it. Cause it doesn't, doesn't deal with my relationship. But now that, I think, I think kind of reaching out to that person and like, let's say it's Aubrey's lover and and she's having a hard time. Me reaching out to her to see if I can be of support in any way has really benefited that instead of being like, Oh, nope, not going to deal with it. It's not my shit. Have fun. Mm. You know, I think it just, it relaxes everything because it makes her feel comfortable that she can come talk to me because I'm not upset at her for feeling this way. And it's just, it's relaxes it. Yeah, agreed. And it makes us it makes us in the primary relationship primary allies. Yeah. Like if if something is funky in a relationship that I have and you're like fucking good luck because that's my rival. You know, mm-hmm. that's the that's this kind of backwards idea that's going to cause pain, but if you're being my primary ally, you're like, "Oh, this is a relationship that Aubrey, let me see if I can help because as primary allies, I'm here to help in any way possible." Yeah, and and, it's I, just and like- I think that that makes a it makes it man, it, it's so much better when you're friends with the person that your that your lover is seeing like so much better mm-hmm. it's like way harder when that person is a stranger because then it's like it's the difference between a stranger stealing your car and you lending the keys to one of your homies you know what i mean that's the way i liken it to like if your good buddy wants to borrow your your ferrari you're like oh yeah man it's cool be safe just take care of her you know what I mean? But if like some rando off the street is like, got your keys, bitch. Like, where's my car? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are you, what are you, what are you doing, doing with it? How are you? Yeah, exactly. How, How are, are you, you driving it? <laughs> Do you have your seatbelt on? Yeah. And that's, and that's the difference. So I think really forging those, those friendships with the other lovers um, really makes a big difference. Agreed. Cool. So we'll wrap this up with one last question for both of you. We'll start with Whitney first. I love these questions. I could sit here and question all day. <laughs> um, Maybe what, we'll do another Facebook Live just with this. Ooh. Just questions. Yes. Uh, what strategies and tools do you use to stay present? Mm, well, this is a good question because I just, I kind of just started this. <laughs> I mean, I had always some sort of tools that I used before, but post Peru because I really wanted to keep everything as conscious as possible. I just felt like I was on a new level and I didn't want to lose that. Um, and so now for me, um, I'm starting to meditate and I've always thought that meditation was whack to be totally honest, just because, (laughs) just because I can't sit still for longer than two minutes. But so meditation has been really key for me. Um, how do you meditate? I just go, 
I, I have a room at the house that I've set up that actually Ob surprised me with. I came home and he, su- he surprised me with this like meditation room because I've been talking about doing it for years and I never did it because obviously I didn't want to meditate. So if I set up <laughs> the room, then I would have to use it. But he surprised me with it. It was amazing. So I have this room set up with some really cool stuff. I go and light some candles, some incense, and then um, I just kind of search YouTube and something that speaks to me. I put it on and I listen to it. And if I like it, I like it. If I don't like it, I don't like it. Um, but something that I picked up recently is if you find a meditation that you like, keep that for one for at least one week. And because you can you can uncover more lessons from that. So you're using guided meditation. I'm using guided meditation. I can't I can't meditate without it. Mm-hmm. So I've been doing guided meditations. Um, I also listen. I've also really gotten into Abraham Hicks, and I know that Ob is funny about it because it is it is the law of attraction and and manifestation and everything. But for me, it's more about keeping your energy as high as possible. And she has she talks about having high energy are high vibrational thoughts and low vibrational thoughts, which is like if you're in a really low place and like you're just pissed off at everything, like any Aubrey could look at me funny and I'm all of a sudden mad at him, you know, but if I'm in a high place and my vibrations really high, I'm not going to worry about it. You look at me funny. It's like, Oh, Hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. You know? So I've been listening to her talks and, um, anytime I just kind of feel out of it, I go online and I read quotes from Eckhart Tolle and Abraham Hicks and um don miguel ruiz yeah yeah and and for those of you who don't have a dedicated room you don't need a dedicated room just find a quiet place find find anything comfy and um and get after it you know i I actually explored that topic in a blog article that i wrote and i think it was published both on on an academy and on uh, my site at aubreymarks.com it's nine ways to cultivate stillness and you know i really use all of the ways in you know differently from breath work, meditation, yoga, ecstatic dance. Ooh, um, ecstatic dance, y'all do yeah, it. Yeah, ecstatic dance is, is legit. The plant medicines, the um, all of these different tools that are, that are available, flotation tanks, like I tend to just use everything and I'm not a real regimen kind of guy. So whenever I feel like I need something, I just kind of dial that in and, uh, and really reset myself. So that's my main strategy. Well, thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for the questions. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, we'll get this posted up to iTunes and all the channels as soon as possible. Um, also, I'm in the last phases of launching my course, goforyourwin.com. Uh, go it's really an opportunity for me to distill all of the wisdom that I've collected, all the failures, all the struggles, all the triumphs, everything that I can put together in helping you know, guide somebody, like a younger version of myself, into living a life towards their greatest win and um, it's three sections the first section i'm going to be 15 weeks divided into three sections first section is about understanding what your win is you know which includes your mission your profession your passions your connections second step is training essential skills which includes all of those ways to become present um, training and choice and toughness and belief and and all of the things that you'll need to to get yourself on that path towards your win and the last section is how to overcome resistance something that we've talked about here strategies to handle fear and attachment and apathy and delusion and um, i'm going to be personally teaching the course so after we'll have a private mastermind group that i'll be weighing in on and then i'll be coming in and teaching lectures every week and then at the end there'll be a big celebration gala here in austin where we'll all get to hang and 
um, put faces to the names on there. So definitely check that out if you're interested. The course, this round of the course closes on November 3rd. So that's next check, week. That's right. next week. Yeah. So check it out. Go for your win.com. So much love, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Witters. Thank you for being you. I love you so much. I can't <laughs> wait to the next chapter in our journey. Yeah, me too. All right. Bye, everybody. Peace. <laughs> Bye.